Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One of the biggest problems when it comes to caring for the oceans is that they're out of sight and out of mind. For most people, most of the time, we don't have a chance to see ocean life for ourselves. The art of underwater photography is helping to bridge that gap between people and the oceans. Hello, I'm Helen Scales, and in this special edition of The Naked Scientists, I chat to Brian Skerry, a photojournalist whose work has appeared in National Geographic magazine since 1998 and who spent more than 10,000 hours taking pictures underwater. When he ventures beneath the waves with his camera, Brian searches out not just for the most captivating images of aquatic life, but he also looks for ways of portraying the many problems that face the ocean realm today. I've been diving for a little over 30 years and making pictures in the ocean for most of that time. And throughout most of my career, I have seen essentially what I would call celebratory pictures of the ocean, you know, some wonderful pictures that show the the majesty and, and beauty in the ocean. But very little had been done along the lines of the problems in the ocean. So my work um, has had this somewhat of an evolution, uh, I guess, in my career in the sense that I, too, want to make beautiful celebratory pictures. And in the early days, that's mostly what I did. But um, these days, I try to balance the, the happy pictures with some of the other side of the story kind of pictures, the pictures that show some of the problems. I, I'd like to think that my images and my stories are helping people to get a better grasp of these sometimes complex issues that occur in the ocean. Sure, sure. And uh, I wanted to ask you, it seems to me that um, a group that's a group of animals that is especially close to your heart are the sharks, and, mm. and they really suffer from a, a serious image crisis still, you know, with a lot of people really thinking that they're mindless killers. Um, h- how do you go about maybe trying to just nudge and shift that public perception a bit? With my work... I've tried to do two things. I've tried to make images that show the shark as simply one beautiful part of whichever ecosystem they happen to inhabit. If they're a reef shark or they're a pelagic shark or a, you know, a, a coastal shark or whatever, a deep water shark, I just want to show them as one integral part of that ecosystem. I try to make pictures that show them as elegant and, and beautiful and within their habitat to, to, you know, rather than just a, a portrait, perhaps, which I like doing as well, it's, it's lovely to be able to show a bit of their habitat to give people a sense of where these animals live. They're not just this ominous creature swimming in a black ocean, a void, you know, waiting to eat things, that they are part of this, this more complex machine. Um, so that's, that's one part of it. The other thing is I've tried to resist the temptation of making pictures that show them as threatening. You know, it's not especially difficult, I think, for a photographer to make a photograph of a shark that shows the teeth and then biting through something. I mean, if you're in an area where there's a lot of sharks around, and they're far and few between these days, but if you are in such a place 
and you put some, you know, fish on the surface or some bait or something, you can get sharks quite often to come up and bite the stuff. And, you know, if you pull the bait away, you might be able to get a picture of that open mouth with the teeth and very scary. Now, I've tried to resist that temptation because I don't want to perpetuate that myth. I don't want people to continue to see these animals in that light because it's not accurate. You know, they are predators. They do bite things and eat things. But I don't want that to be the only dimension that we continue to see. You've been taking pictures in the underwater world for for a long time now. And are there particular things that stand out to you as, as that are different now than maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago? Yes, no question about that. And um, it's it's often very depressing and it's very challenging to sometimes do my work. Um, I've done stories recently in the Caribbean, for example, in sections of the Caribbean that um, I was able to ultimately make some wonderful pictures and deliver the story as intended, but it took me much longer simply because the habitats were a shadow of what they used to be. I think this is very troubling and very disturbing. You know, I'm, I'm going to places not only in the Caribbean, but around the world that I might have visited five or ten years ago. And in just that short amount of time, I'm seeing dramatic changes. I'm seeing coral reefs that were once teeming with fish and sharks. And these days, I see very few sharks, or almost none in many places. And I'm seeing very few fish, particularly predatory fish, you know, grouper and snapper and things like that. I'm seeing coral reefs that are severely bleached and now covered in algae uh, because they don't have the reef communities to combat that. You know, they need the herbivores and the, the parrotfish and so forth to control those algae blooms and algae growth. Uh, so it's very disturbing to see that. Uh, even in, I, I live near Boston in um in New England, and I dive with sharks here. And I can remember going out 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and seeing many sharks in a day. And these days, they're not nearly as plentiful. It takes much longer out there to see what I used to see in, in a shorter time. I used to swim off beaches in New England and, and see teeming shoals of, of pollock and herring and all these small silver fish, and I just don't see that anymore. Uh, I can only imagine what it was like, you know, a hundred years ago. This is what I fantasize all about, always about. What you can, my assistants will tell you, no matter where I go in the world, and even if we come up from a good dive, I'll often say, "Can you imagine what this place would have been like 50 or 100 years ago? It must have been, you know, amazing, prehistoric with all the animals." I can only, only um, try to visualize that. However, I, I guess I'm, I'm somewhat of an eternal optimist. I, I'm, I'm a realist, but I'm also a bit of an optimist. And I have seen places that have rebounded. You know, I, I did a story a few years ago in New Zealand. I went to a number of MPAs, marine protected areas, that had been designated there. And I saw great resilience. I saw great rebounding. You know, I saw places that had once been completely denuded. I mean, they, there was there was hardly any fish, I was told, and there, there was no great communities within the ecosystem. And now they were lush and, and thriving and doing really well. I actually met with a sort of an old-time diver who was diving there in the 1950s and 60s. And over tea one afternoon, he said, you know, Brian, diving here now is better today than it was in the 1960s. And that really struck me because I don't think I've ever heard that about anywhere else in the world. But here it was true, and that was because of full no-take protection. They had 
designated this place off limits to both commercial and sport fishing, and it had rebounded. It had come back to sort of this natural state. So we now have a baseline of, of what that place should look like, and we can use that for conservation elsewhere. So I, I do think there's hope. And I do think these are the stories that need to be told. You know, we're losing this stuff very, very rapidly, and we, we have this shifting baseline mentality where we don't remember necessarily what it was like long ago. So we need to create protected places that come back to a natural state, and then we can see the ocean's resilient, but we, we need to listen and we need to act. I'm really kind of fascinated to know just a little bit about the sort of actual practicalities of when you go on a dive and you, you I mean, are there times when you just have the wrong camera and, and there's nothing you can do about it? That must be oh, yeah. one of those challenges, I guess. Absolutely. You are quite limited in underwater photography by a number of things. You're, you're limited, first of all, by your air supply. You can only stay underwater for a certain amount of time until the air in your tank or even if you're using a rebreather and you closed circuit and you can stay down for much longer, you're still limited. You can't stay down indefinitely. You're limited by thermal uh, regulations. You know, you're going to get cold. Even in the warmest water, if the water is uh, very, very warm, tropical water, you're still going to be limited. You're eventually going to get cold and have to get out. Photographically, as you pointed out, you're limited by other things. Historically, I used to shoot film before digital, so I was limited to 36 frames on a roll of film. That was it. I had to be very choosy, very selective about the pictures I was taking. Fortunately, today with digital, I can shoot you know, 600 high-resolution pictures on a single dive or with that single camera. So I have much more latitude and can be more creative and take more chances. So that's good. But I am still or we are still limited to a single lens. The cameras do have to go inside housings uh, with one lens, and that's it. Now, there are great zoom lenses today, which give you more latitude. It used to be only fixed lenses. You know, you went in the water with a 20-millimeter wide-angle lens, and yes, uh, you would always see some great little macro subject that you wanted to photograph and you couldn't do it. Or more often, you'd put a macro lens on, and you're down to take a picture of some little shrimp or nudibranch and, you know, a whale shark or a killer whale or something swims by and, you know, you, you maybe get a picture of its eye. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the problems. And, of course, things like lighting are always challenges. You know, uh, we're, we're rather primitive as underwater photographers in comparison to our terrestrial counterparts because we have usually one or two underwater strobes, lights on our camera, which is not the best way to, to light a subject. You know, there, there are much more creative things that you can do if you have the ability to do that, but underwater you oftentimes can't. So I try to, if I have the latitude, if I'm on a coral reef, I'll bring down movie lights or cable lights from the surface and I'll try to backlight things or side light them or, you know, gel a, a light to give it a different color temperature to, to bring out certain details in in what I'm seeing down there, but we're still quite primitive overall compared to uh, surface photographers. But all in all, it's worked okay. That was photojournalist Brian Skerry talking to me, Helen Scales, about his work that captures both the beauty and the problems of the oceans. Well, you can hear more from Brian and more about art and the oceans in the latest episode of the Naked Oceans podcast. We chat with underwater sculptor Jason DeCarries-Taylor and find out how his artwork gets transformed into artificial reefs And we'll hear about a man who brought stunning images of underwater life to the masses long before the invention of underwater cameras. You can find all that at thenakedscientist.com forward slash oceans. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.